what am I willing to do that other brands are not willing to do? Welcome to Careers in Fashion. the market with your product or service. So join Becky O'Kell and Hugh Thomas, founders of Painter, and Costas Kukuravas, founder and CEO of Intel Style, and be inspired by their innovative business models. I'm the host, Mirella de la Cerda, enterprise consultant at Graduate Futures. Our co-host is Helen Letts, project director of the Fashion District. Before we jump in, I'd like to introduce the business uh, a little bit more. So Helen, could you introduce the fashion district and talk about the services? And then we can hand over to Becky, Hugh and Costas to talk a little bit about companies. Yes, of course. Thank you, Morella. Um, yep, I'm Helen Lacks Fashion District and um, I work with all sorts of industry partners um, in order to establish London's fashion district, specifically in the east and slightly north of London. And the idea around the fashion district is that we build a fashion ecosystem connecting design across manufacturing, across to retail and join up those sectors better so that businesses can do um, business together. Brilliant. So, Painter, would you like to introduce yourselves? Sure. Thank you, Morella. Um, so I'm Becky. And I'm Hugh. Um, we're the only two at Painter. Um, and we make limited edition jackets in small batches just three or four times a year. Um, we basically set up because we wanted to bring meaning back to clothing, which means... Yeah, it's like we have such a physical relationship with our clothes, but we have very little understanding of where they come from, how they are made, by who... Um, how to look after them, what to do with them once their time is up, and kind of what we are trying to use Painter as an experiment of how we try and close that gap and bring meaning back to clothing. Amazing, thanks. Um, Costas, could you talk a little bit about uh, IntelliStyle? For sure. Um, and hi, everyone. Uh, thank you, Mirella, for inviting us to your podcast. Uh, so IntelliStyle is a fashion AI platform that helps retailers uh, differentiate by creating digital discovery experiences that increase conversion, basket size and repeat purchase rate. And we do that by helping retailers customers find the right clothes, regardless of their style, their body type or the occasion that they're shopping for. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd like to start talking about a little bit about how did you create uh, your business model. So uh, Becky and Hugh, could you um, talk a little bit about how you came up with the idea and why you decided to offer just one product? Yeah, so um, I used to work for a denim company based in West Wales called Hyatt Denim. And I used to hate seeing the offcuts of fabric onto waist, so I started taking them home with me um, and just started making things at home. And 
I eventually uh, got into uh, making jackets with them. And like most creative side projects, it just got, uh, life got busy, um, put it all to one side. But then when I met Becky and I told her the whole thing and she saw the jackets, she was oh my God. Which I was is like, so- these are so good. This is such a waste. <laughs> They're beautiful. Um, these jackets. And it, to be honest, our business model, it came from, it came from a lot of um, influences, I think seeing waste on a, on a bigger scale um not just under the cutting table but also things going unsold in shops and going to landfill was absolutely shocking and a, a massive a massive massive thing that we're seeing across the high street all the way up to luxury um, we wanted to bring meaning back like we spoke about in the introduction and we also wanted to remain independent and show that there was a different way of running a small but successful fashion business without having to take investment or have big teams or scale beyond control of yeah. two creative people wanting to um i guess still remain contact with everything from design to photography to packing and fulfillment and customers so with all of those influences in mind we decided that one product at a time was enough to focus on and Without taking investment, we were using our savings completely to start the business, which meant we needed to sort, uh, basically do like a crowdfunding approach because our minimum order with our first, with our factory was 300 pieces at the beginning. And with the savings that we had, we couldn't afford our minimum order. So we decided that that constraint would kind of force us to take a more interesting route. And um, that's where our made to order, a limited edition, selling in batches up front model came from. Thanks. That was really inspiring. Uh, what about you, Costas? Uh, when did you realize there was an opportunity to develop uh, IntelliStyle? So the whole thing started from a very personal need. Um, you see, I'm terrible at putting an outfit together. So, uh, you know, that, that kind of you know, created a lot of friction back then with my partner. Um, you know, she, she is actually, she used to be actually a stylist and you know, she'd, she'd help me out a little bit. So I kind of thought, you know what, I'll just do the whole thing with AI, you know, less hassle. And I, I, I had a background in machine learning, artificial intelligence by um, working at Microsoft, Skype, the BBC, various organizations. So um, I kind of set off to, to do that on my own. The very first incarnation of the company was actually an app that allowed you to uh, style clothes from uh, your own wardrobe. So you'd take photos of your clothes and then it'd give you outfits um, to do. And you know, the, the, the way this, this happened was by, as I mentioned earlier, we used uh, machine learning, or I used machine learning to um, crawl the web, look, look at outfits put together by stylists um, at uh, different retailers' websites, at catwalks, and sort of understand how these different pieces of clothing can, can get combined. So, you know, we had this app out um, in the App Store. It was getting loads of um, interest from consumers. But at the same time, it kind of attracted interest from retailers. Um, and for retailers, that was quite new. Um, so they were like, mm, OK, you know, this is getting traction. You know, let's talk to these guys and figure out what that is. Um, but, you know, one of the things we found was that uh, retailers, had le- unless it kind of fits in with a current model, with their current the, the things that they're already doing, it's very difficult for them to, to adopt a new service. And eventually we started kind of uh, molding the features 
um, to move away from you know, an app um, into things that a retailer was already comfortable with and they were already using, which made it not like a more natural fit with um, you know, their teams and what they were looking to invest in. Okay, thanks. Uh, I mean, what a journey. It must be fascinating to, to you know, uh, develop all those features. And at the same time, you know that you are bringing something different to the market, which leads us to our next topic, which is dis uh, disrupting the market. So I'd like to ask both brands, uh, when was that moment that you realized that you were proposing something very unique? And how was the initial reaction from clients uh, and the market itself? We first realized it is a little different uh, from other brands, I guess. first part of it is Kickstarter. I guess it's very normal for Kickstarter for like mm. technology products. Uh, everything's on Kickstarter now, but it's, yeah. I think for us at the start, it was less seen in our industry, which felt already we, like, we were making up every process and the way we had to describe everything like the frequently asked questions on our website and the customer service wasn't there wasn't any reference points so it was really mm -hmm. making it up from the beginning and that was it's pretty amazing because I think people get very excited at a new way of doing things if it's rooted in purpose which it was everything we were doing was rooted in we don't want to create any waste not only at the design stage but we order fabric based on the exact amount of meters based on the production size and then we make the jackets based on how many we've already sold so there isn't any waste at the fabric side every offcut gets recycled during the cutting and sewing process and then there's no stock so i think people got very excited about the purpose absolutely and how was uh, the journey uh, to launch a disruptive uh, business model and be accepted uh, on the market um, it was quite challenging, I'd say. Uh, so uh, I think there was um, a lot of scepticism from retailers at the beginning. I mean, there was certainly excitement from a point of view. Oh, you know, this is new. Um, but at the same time, uh, as I said earlier, you know, people couldn't quite see how that might fit into their current offering. Um, there's a lot of risk averseness. Um, in sort of middle management of retail, of any company really, not, not just in retail. Um, so, you know, certainly when people see something new, um, they don't want to be the first ones that try it. Um, they don't want to take the risk. They don't want to have to justify it. And most importantly, um, they don't want to pay. So um, that was, it was certainly challenging um, to get our first kind of contracts. Um, and a key route for us to, to make that happen was through innovation programs um, and accelerators, as we call them. So, you know, that helped us identify clients uh, that were ready to innovate. Because, um, you know, I mean, if you hear any you know, corporate discussion, um, corporate vision, uh, everyone's ready to innovate. But in reality, not everyone is. So, you know, I think kind of having an accelerator or participating in an accelerator is a very good indicator that um, a corporate might be interested in, in innovation. And, you know, there's normally some money committed towards that. Um, 
to kind of you know test things out um and that's a good way to get your first customers um you know prove volume um and really just measure the results of your um sort of service one of the kind of things one of the key mantras in new product development and startups is is something that we call lean startup methodology and this is all about iterating you know getting something out and you know getting reaction from the users and then constantly evolving and improving the product based on that process and that's i guess easier to do in a b2c context where you know it's you're addressing a mass market and you know i guess i come from a b2c background so you know in the b2b world uh, because obviously the clients are not so numerous are in the B2C world and, you know, the acquisition channels are very different. Um, that, that can be a very different experience. Uh, but these accelerator programs are, are a good starting point. And, you know, I think once we, we did that and, you know, we managed to get the first brand names on board and you know, the first sort of case studies with uh, results on performance, um, more and more customers uh, or more and more retailers um, started wanting to try this and um, move forward with it. That, that's really interesting, Costas, because when both of, both of your models, I suppose, are disrupting the market in a very different way um, and at different rates. And I'm wondering, um, Becky and Hugh, you have obviously deliberately adopted a slow fashion model. Um, and that is pretty challenging when you are trying to grow something maybe organically but at the same time as costas was saying you 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 do need to make some money to pay your bills so how have you kind of balanced up your approach to growing organically and slowly but at the same time being able to scale your business so you can you can kind of grow your customer demand um, for us, when it comes to growth, um, it's all happened very, we've been, we've been very, very lucky um, because of uh, how everything has gone, like uh, the, how the launches have gone and we've had a few things go viral on Instagram and that has just grown our audience quite a bit. Very and, organically. And mm. we only make, we only make how many uh, the 300 was in the first batch, then it was like another 300, then we went to 500, then 750, and we're just trying to keep up with demand at the moment. It's quite exciting about like uh, this type of business model when it does work, it, uh, it creates a lot of excitement around it, and that's one of the things we wanted to do. Is how it feels do we, great for sure. And how, like, how, because the whole thing was like, as well, we wanted to change the perception of what a sustainable business looked like. That That is really interesting because it's clear to me from your brand that you are growing your your customers as a community around your brand, which is, and I love the idea that Hugh was talking about in that actually you're making it into an event or an experience and there's a, an old fashioned sense of anticipation. Okay, so Costas, what, what about in Telestyle? Because I've, I've seen you grow your your business and I've always been intrigued at how great you are at getting in in those investor networks and really working those networks in terms of supporting your your brand. How, how did you develop your growth strategy with those investors and, and with your networks? So um, 
I'd say the whole thing has been quite methodical. Um, and of course, we, we've learned a lot um, as we went a lot in terms of, you know, what um, acquisition channels work and what don't, because that changes depending on the industry and it changes depending on, um, you know, the, the time. What worked in the past won't work these days. So, uh, you know, I think a key kind of event for us was um, being selected um, as one of the uh, sort of batch for the Techstars Montreal Accelerator. So Techstars is probably the third biggest um, startup accelerator in the world and probably first by volume uh, alongside Y Combinator and 500 startups. Um, so um, those folks uh, select about one to two percent um, top startups in the Internet, make an investment in them. And really, um, you know, the value that they offer is that network, because, um, you know, in order to sort of get speaking to the right people um, in the corporate world, you need to have that network. And, you know, that's what those folks provide, one and two. Um, they provide some really, really valuable advice. Um, you know, a lot of accelerators you see having corporate mentors, for example, um, but the mentors at Techstars, they've all been entrepreneurs in the past. So they've got really, you know, hands on practical advice. Um, and, you know, they've got this great sort of uh, principle of give first. So anyone in the network, um, you know, if you ask something from them, they're going to give to you. And and that really helps you uh, both grow and learn, but also um, get speaking to the right people. So that was certainly sort of a good starting point for us. Um, and then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we went to um, and participated in innovation programs all across the world. So we spent time in um, Dubai. We spent time in Hong Kong, in Spain in Germany, um, in Italy. Uh, so, um, you know, we really tapped onto sort of worldwide innovation networks. So that was one. The other one was very much around um, working with press. And the good thing with press that it was that it was all organic. Um, people quite um, you know, enjoyed the idea, they really liked the idea. So um, we got quite a lot of press. And, you know, once you start getting some press, then you know, other press gets built up on it and you don't really need to do much once you get the, the ball rolling. It kind of snowballs in that respect. Um, and then, you know, you, you certainly need to be very careful about your um, inbound acquisition. So SEO, um, you need to make sure that you've um, kind of optimized your website with the right keywords. Um, that you've analyzed what those are, that you're producing content that is relevant to your target audience. And, um, you know, that we, we've also experimented with some some kind of um, you know, keyword ads, although, uh, you know, it's, it's not our biggest um, sort of acquisition driver. Um, so that's all with with regards to kind of inbound and organic growth. But then, you know, the second bit that we've started sort of, I guess, spending more time with or being more successful with it um, in the last year um, has been um, outbound. Um, so inside sales, as we call them, it's very much about, um, you know, emails, uh, calls, uh, LinkedIn and trying to reach to the right people and get your your message across. 
Um, and that's something that we experimented, uh, you know, last year as well. And uh, you know, it hasn't been very successful. But, uh, you know, this year with the pandemic, a lot of the other um, sort of customer acquisition channels dried up. Um, mm-hmm. So it was important for us to really double down on that channel and, you know, kind of continuing experimenting with it. Um, we came up with the right messaging, with the right sequences, um, and with the right content to, um, you know, make that effort successful and get it to convert. And the one thing I've really noticed about y- your your brand and also yourself, I suppose, is how you have consistently learnt from um, whatever you're going through, I suppose, to to take you into the next phase, even if that means that you junk a few ideas or pivot or um, pursue the ideas that are working. It seems like you 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 learn and then you put it into practice. You're fantastic at that, Costas. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I mean, that, that's for sure the one the one thing that, that we did. And, you know, we're kind of looking back when we started the journey. It is incredible to you know, I get shocked by how much we didn't know. Um, and, you know, you certainly got to approach everything with a learning attitude. And um, I guess over to Becky and Hugh, is, is there any particular advice that you would give to someone, a, a young startup or just someone with an innovative idea that that they want to disrupt, they want to disrupt the market? What would your advice be to them? Um, one thing to consider is, are you the right person to do this? And are you the only person can do this? Because sometimes it's the combination of your skills that actually brings out the uniqueness of your business. Um, like for us, it was like if I'd run a company on my own or Becky run a company on her own, it'd be completely different. Um, I think if it's that um, combination of skills that it's only you could possibly do this, um, I think that helps quite a bit. I think that also helps with the confidence because sometimes it's quite frightening to look at the businesses in your industry ahead of you and think well well god just me how how on earth do i make myself heard or um stand out in this industry and actually doing things in your own way whatever way that feels right whether that's communicating in the in the way that you speak or the photography angle that you have or your product or your business model leaning into the things that make you you in all of those aspects can only help rather than trying to do things in a way that feels right or correct or um is the right way to do things in the industry um and i'd say also share the process like from from the very beginning like work in public is something that we always try and do whether it's a design of the jacket so for batch one we we shared an update on Instagram every day for nine months before we launched our first jacket. Well, one question you might want to ask themselves is, um, what am I willing to do that other brands are not willing to do? Being one step ahead, I suppose, of whoever's catching up on your, on your heels. <laughs> <laughs> Working for similar companies or for companies that you can really learn from before yeah. going and doing your own thing is probably the biggest yeah. piece of advice. Yeah, so you working at Hyatt Denim was incredible. Yeah. I was there for four and a half years. It was the best apprenticeship I could have ever possibly done. And it's that kind of set me up personally. Um, everything to be able to like start this and yeah. know, like you find the instra- insights within the industry by working in it for a while. And then that gives you an advantage over most people. 
so before we wrap up, first of all, I'd like to say thanks for sharing such inspiring lessons. And I think the biggest takeaway here is that if you have an idea, if you have a passion for something, plan ahead, be strategic, above all, have a purpose and stick to it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you need patience, you need to be resilient, but keep going because it, it, it's, it's a journey. Nothing happens overnight. So uh, I'd like to wrap up with uh, uh, some, um, a little bit of your insights and opinions on the future of the fashion industry uh, and a few uh, burning topics like technology, retail trends and the demand for a more sustainable lifestyle. So uh, Costas, talking about technology, we've seen how the pandemic had accelerated online retail. Uh, we can see how consumers are much more comfortable with e-commerce or with shopping online. But at the same time, now that we are going back to physical stores, uh, consumers are expecting more of a, an experience when they go to a store. Uh, they, are, uh, they are acting completely uh, different and I would say more demanding when they you know, uh, plan to leave the houses to go to a physical place uh, to shop. And uh, in your opinion, how do you envision future opportunities in fashion tech? So there's, there's I guess, two, two different parts to this, as you mentioned. You know, one, there's, there's online. And what, what we're seeing online is that um, he who has more bigger selection um, and great logistics um, wins right now. And it's, it's, a, it's a very unfortunate truth, but um, we, we definitely see a consolidation um, of the industry there in, in bigger platforms. And if you see what's, what's happening in China, for example, with you know, a few big platforms and a few mega apps and loads of small sellers on, that, on those apps, I mean, it's not quite as um, to split um, in, in the West. But at the same time, we see this going in that direction with, you know, Amazon's kind of, um, you know, shadow looming large um, over the industry. Um, so online, you lose a lot of the um, you know, brand experience. So, yeah, at the same time, you know, acquisition can, can get a lot more challenging online. So where I see really differentiation online, you know, it's kind of you know, technology helping retailers online is with that experience. And, you know, the word on everyone's lips when I'm speaking to them, retailers, um, it's, um, you know, virtual fitting rooms. Can we do a virtual fitting room? And, um you know, there's a, quite a few videos going around and everyone's getting excited about it. Well, the grim reality is that we're not as close as those videos kind of suggest. You know, I, I think that a lot of growth in the future will come both from companies offering virtual fitting rooms, but companies also um, helping digitize the design process and the supply chain in fashion so that, you know, all these assets exist early on because it's very expensive to produce them later on. They add to your cost of goods sold and that's something that retailers don't want. So, um, 
you know, one of the biggest kind of uh, pain points for, for, for retailers there is certainly the ability for um, a frictionless checkout. So, you know, the minute you, you get your wallet out to pay, that's friction. So, you know, frictionless payments in physical stores, certainly something that we're going to see more and more of. And, um, you know, certainly sort of experiences that allow you to um, connect the online and the offline world. I think technology will play a, a, a crucial part here. But on the other hand, when we think about Becky's and Hugh's uh, business, we are, lo are looking at a movement to slow things down, to be more mindful about what we buy, and even to rediscover uh, craft craftsmanship. So my question to both of you is, do you think we are building a new relationship with clothes? That's our goal, is to, how do we strengthen that relationship? How do we put more emotion into that relationship? With transparency, with how people like, and even uh, Evelyn with their pricing, or even Arquette with their pictures of their factories, it's like, that's great, but it's very logical. So like, we're trying to work out how do you make it more emotional? So people care more about the clothing that they buy, that means that they look after it better, it lasts longer, it's not a throwaway piece of clothing. A lot of our customers have said by the time their jacket arrives, it, it's actually changed the way that they buy from other brands too. And I think they're noticing and we're noticing more and more brands who are working this way, which is super exciting. I think that, that's spot on, really. And for, for me, looking to the near future, not even the far future, is that the thing that's changed the most in the last period is the customer mindset and or the people mindset. Um, and yeah. it, the future to me with within fashion district, external to fashion district and across the globe is how you merge the digital and the physical, as Costas was saying, um, I think. Those people that do it successfully are those that will really change the future of fashion because that's where people that's where people want to interact with fashion, both physically and digitally. Um, it's the merging of the two worlds. But but also I feel that people do want a more personal connection with the clothes they're wearing and um, in, in understanding those stories and the values the the values of what they have on their body are, are almost living their values of their life from fashion district's point of view i'm really excited to support the types of businesses that both both of you have because whilst you are operating in very very different spheres you are all part of that kind of fashion ecosystem that is challenging those those bigger mainstream brands on the high street to to push them forward and nudge them forward in terms of what they are offering to uh, for the new mindset of people. It's really left to me to say thank you ever so much, um, Costas, Hugh, Becky, and for our lovely conversation that Morella has convened for us. Um, thank you ever so much.